0: Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Eni Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber,
1: and I'm David Youssef. David, David, it's welcome been too back.
0: Long. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm happy to be back. It's been weird times. We have a lot to catch up on. I wanted to do personal catch up. I'll
2: just return myself to one question, which is: Are you still planning on moving out to the Midwest slash Denver area?
1: Hell yeah! Awesome. And Ooh. job markets just being very painfully slow, but that is to be expected currently. In fact, that's part of the reason I got into AI so much. I was just telling you that I keep having this deep frustration inside of me where I'm like, this should be automated away. Why am I (laughs) still doing this? Why am I wasting neuron energy and calories like worrying about this at all? And that kind of was the second big impetus
0: for me. Well, before we continue on this, we should tell people what it is we're talking about. What is our topic for today?
1: I mostly wanted to talk to you guys today because when I heard your last episode with Matt, there were a lot of moments where you would say things like, well, I'm not sure the application or in particular, some of the apocalypse scenarios and dread that you were feeling, Ineash. And I was just like, this is confusing to me. And so I wanted to reach out to you guys, both because as one of the people who writes workshops, I'm actually one who created the workshops on prompt engineering and AI tools, but also kind of discussing like the philosophy of what's been happening with these AI tools, because I've been following it very closely.
2: David, you're one of the council members for the Guild of the Rose, our glorious sponsor and best friend.
1: I am the chief operations officer and the secret chief of uh, the Bureau of Sabotage.
2: Not so secret anymore.
1: I mean... The nice thing is, you don't know who else is in the Bureau.
0: (laughs) Are you sabotaging the Guild of the Rose, or are you sabotaging things outside of it?
1: Oh, the idea is, have you ever heard of the Chaos Monkey in Netflix's programming? No. So they actually developed a piece of software that would purposely go around and mess things up in their back end. The idea was, this kind of purposely made malicious actor would expose weaknesses before they became a big deal. So it would find a problem and then they would patch it. And a good example of its value, they had an outage back in like, oh man, this must have been back in 2014. And people don't remember it now, but it was out for like a full day. And what had happened is the chaos monkey had discovered that the way they were routing their data was all very centralized through a bunch of Amazon web servers. And so they were like, huh, that puts us at risk, and they thought about it, and they redid how they distributed the information so it's a little bit more like BitTorrent, a little bit more decentralized, and a little bit more robust. That's the gotta, reason why it's actually really hard to take Netflix down now.
0: I gotta say, I'm gonna have my old man yelling at clouds moment. Back in my day, we had teenagers to fuck things up like this. <laughs> we didn't have to rely on chaos monkey code.
1: It was also inspired by a, a series of books by Frank Herbert, The Whipping Star, The Dosadai Experiment, and oh, I forget the first one. Oh, yeah, it's called The Bureau of Sabotage.
0: <laughs> Did, wait, were you joking when you said I forget the first one?
1: I literally forgot it, and then as I was saying it, I remembered. <laughs> you heard That's my thought awesome. process in real, li- in real time there.
0: I love how human brains work. Yeah.
1: In it, there is a m- powerful government, And he talks about how this government kept going faster and faster and making laws with less and less planning. And so eventually a secret group started effectively low-grade terrorism, not even like because they hated the government. They're just like, you guys are going so fast in the urgency to look like you're doing stuff that you're making really bad decisions and eventually the government sort of subsumed them into it as an official part of the government whose only job is to kind of act as like a check on the rest of the system
0: again this is something that used to be done by teenagers i feel so disappointed in the current generation
1: i mean i personally believe if we ever become a powerful organization i want to have a comedian on staff to do the same job
0: that would work it sounds like you'd have to have a lot of technical knowledge though right
1: I don't think so. It's not hard to make fun of nerds. <laughs> oh, to make fun of nerds. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you do that, that's usually enough to keep them grounded. That's usually the big thing. You mean okay. to
2: keep you guys from I'm taking yourselves too seriously?
1: Hopefully,
0: that's awesome. I-, I didn't realize the sabotage didn't extend into things like trying to fuck things up. Technically,
1: oh, not normally. That you requires. Probably don't me- want to
0: be COO and sabotager.
1: <laughs> also, you know it's hard. Because that means I have to be more technical than the rest of the guild. And there are a lot of smart people there.
0: Mm, that's a good point.
1: But not as smart as AIs will be in about, oh, I'm going to say
0: 18 months. Smooth segue. Wow. <laughs> that is even shorter timelines than I had. You think 18 months uh, from now, AIs will literally be smarter than the smartest people in the guild the Rose? Maybe more capable.
1: I will uh, say g- that, general that a stuff. group of them will be, yeah.
0: Okay. It sounds like you are not freaking out. So at the very least, you think they will not be agentic or they will be well aligned.
1: Uh, Yeah, let me start with uh, my background on this stuff. So you guys know where I'm coming from. ChatGPT came out like November 30th. I remember this very clearly because I was graduating December 15th and my final project was due December 12th. For my college, I had to do a three-month research project and then three months of experiments in the lab to do my own original research.
0: What was the subject of the research?
1: How insect wings and the nanostructures on them act as antibacterial nanocoatings. And so what I did is I got the wings of spotted lanternflies, which are an invasive species here. I just use them because it's easy and cheap to get. But... Mm. Insect wings, when you look at them at really fine resolutions, actually have like really nanoscale spikes on them. And as bacteria try to move over the surface, it literally rips them apart. Their two membranes get separated and they bleed out. But what's even more impressive is they actually have a single molecule layer of fat on them, which means they're waterproof. So instead of just dying and like creating an environment where more bacteria will pile on top, this kills the bacteria and then actually wicks away the liquid so that it prevents biocolonies from forming.
0: That's fucking awesome.
1: I was very proud of my work. It was good research. I, it was good experimentation. Even my professors were a little bit impressed, but I'm not a strong writer. I know my weaknesses. The thing I've been procrastinating on the longest and that I had really dreaded in my heart was the actual writing of the final paper. And then ChatGPT came out. And I was like, huh. So I played around with it and I gave it the outline of my paper and the research. And I had like very detailed Google sheets with all my sources and everything labeled. Section by section, ChatGPT helped me write my final paper. I immediately realized there were gonna be some implications with this. So I showed this to my professors on December like 5th. And from their perspective, they were like, we've never heard of this program. I was like, it's very new. And they're like, well, (laughs) from our perspective, this is no different than you having like Grammarly, like some sort of writing, editing software. So this seems fine to us.
0: Mm -hmm. And I looked
1: online and I was like, oh, they do say that if you publish anything with this, you have to cite it. So my final paper that I graduated with has my name, the lab assistant's name, Rebecca, if you ever listen to this, you're awesome. And ChatGPT is the third a cited writer. <laughs> yeah, that led me down this rabbit hole. So I've been following it literally from like a 24 hours from when it was released.
0: So it sounds like you have had a lot of experience with this uh, ChatGPT and how it can be used.
1: Yes. It took me a long time to figure out the right framing but i heard it recently from a luxury space communism blog i was reading <laughs> which is there have been times in human history where people have had the equivalent of artificial intelligence those were times when people had slaves like what is aristotle the slave but in our ar- like uh not artificial but an intelligence you pay for and outsource your thinking to
0: they had human level artificial intelligence i guess yeah
1: so at least in the short term The way people should be thinking about this is you are now the equivalent of a billionaire who has the ability to pull up his phone and contact an expert on a field, like at a moment's notice to answer any question you want. You have that capability now if you are smart and you use these tools properly.
0: You do have to take a little bit extra time to double-check your experts' answers, though, because they aren't always um, Infallible. not hallucinated, right?
1: I mean, I haven't run into that issue in literally two months now because of prompting techniques. Well, it, it also Excellent. depends on
2: what kind of stuff you're asking about. That's um, true.
1: I'm not trying to ask it for, like, who is the fa- who is the person who is in charge of this? Anything current, not useful.
2: Right. I, I asked, actually, I was asking GPT 4 last night, like, what's the latest stuff it Do about? And I think it was September 2021. I'm not one of those people that thinks that this technology is is, is uninteresting because it hallucinates or whatever, even confidently hallucinates. I yeah. am more just, and no, no, neither are you, Inyash. I was just emphasizing because I am scrolling through my history of, of questions on it. And one of them I asked, what happens to Misa Amane in uh, Death Note? Because I couldn't remember what her fate was. I mean, I. I mm-hmm. I read it 10, 15 years ago. It confidently told me that, oh well, no, it says that she killed herself. And that's actually not textually clear. I remember that. Because then I went to go, because I was like, that doesn't sound right. So I double checked on like a Death Note wiki or something.
0: Was it intentionally ambiguous in in the manga? What happened to her?
2: Um, kind of. At the end, there's a cult of people that worship Kira. And there's a person who looks like Misa at like an altar. But, you know, they all look like anime girls, right? So maybe it wasn't her.
1: Mm, But it seems
2: like, you know, after everything, she's still just like, this guy was great.
0: I'm a big fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that GPT-4 has more than 70% less hallucinations, and I've also heard someone say that actually the fact that everybody knows sometimes you get hallucinations is good for um, pedagogy in particular, because a lot of people just assume whatever the authority figure tells them is right and accept it. And with this, it encourages students to actually think about it and double-check it real quick for themselves, which increases uptake and ability to remember and engagement with the content. So probably some great upsides to it too and i think like you were trying to say david humans are also not infallible oftentimes you are told things which are just wrong and uh the fact that we simply accept it from human experts without double checking them is probably a bad idea too well the nice thing too is when you
2: if you ask a human expert be like hey can you you know are you sure they'll be like of course i'm sure fuck you you know is Mm -hmm. sometimes the implied reply at at the very least this is training a good habit that you should have in real life anyway
1: well there is that I will definitely say that is a part of it. But also, once you realize that ChatGPT, quote unquote, wants to satisfy the thing you are giving it a directive to, mm-hmm. you will realize that it's more like an overeager kid that's willing to make things up. So yeah. I just put as part of my prompt, if you're not sure, ask me and I will gather data for you. And then I will feed that in as additional context.
0: Oftentimes,
1: I will just tell it at the very beginning, like, what questions should I be answering so you can do this well? And that that helps a lot. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) I think people are really bad at prompting these large language models because they don't understand kind of what's happening internally. When it's being trained, and there are people who are experts in this field who listen, so I am not, please forgive my rough understanding, but what is happening is you're asking it, and it has like created this association vector data space that is huge, like m- hundreds if not thousands of dimensions for every single token, and it kind of clusters them together. Well, when you ask it a question, it's just kind of like skimming the surface of the pond for the most relevant answers based on the question you gave. Matt and I have talked about this a lot, and I think he's underestimating it. Personas matter a lot. So one of the things I always do with GPT-4, I use a plugin called Prompster where I can abbreviate an entire prompt with a single slash command. And mm-hmm. it is what I call the expert prompt. And what that prompt does is it says, hello, your name is blank. You are an expert with 30 plus years of experience, multiple PhDs and world-renowned at these subjects. You are well-respected in your field for your unorthodox and orthogonal views, but are still rational and creative. You are going to help me think through this problem in a step-by-step manner. You will always start your response with, hello, my name is blank here to help you face your challenge. If you're unsure of something, do not be afraid to ask. If I find out you're lying, I will be very upset and I will no longer trust you. Do you no. understand name? And it goes. And it just goes. And it works so much better because I've heard that they trained it on the entirety of the internet, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So one example is, I told it to act like Charlotte Linlin, a world-renowned food scientist and baker with a specialty in Arabic and Middle Eastern food, who has their own three Michelin star rated Egyptian and Middle Eastern bakery. And then I was like, Charlotte, I am a co-worker of yours, and I want to make a new baklava recipe. Do you want to workshop it with me? Not only did it give me better quality answers, but at one point I was like, hey, while we're working on this recipe, can you give me any hints that you would know as an expert chef with your years of experience? And it did. It had like actual hints. And I was like, okay, where would it have found this information? I'm like, well, there are definitely forums out there, right? Where chefs and food scientists talk to each other. And when I tell it to think and talk like that, it's probably referencing those subreddits and other places for how it's thinking. So when you tell it to wear a persona, it's like you're taking that broad lens it's using and telling it to focus on a specific vector space or set of angles to analyze its tokens. And that makes it much, much higher quality answers.
2: Do you know if the question of is that actually what's happening is known or knowable by like people now this
1: is the leading theory that i've heard that lines up with the data but these transformers like they only just recently were able to use gpt4 to draw a neuro map of how gpt2 works
2: right and as far as i understand they they mapped like 5% of it but that's still big progress yeah that sounds plausible if i was talking to like say like the way that i kind of imagine when i talk to gpt is like if I'm at a rationalist meetup, and I just like, hey, everyone, I'm taking over the conversation. Let's do this thing really quick. In my analogy, I'm basically just guiding a lot of intelligent people towards like, whatever I want to talk about. What you're doing with this, with this persona modeling is saying, who here knows physics, and you get three people to raise their hands, you three, let's go talk, um, rather than have everybody weigh in on your physics problem. Is that sound about yeah. right?
1: Yeah. And think about it like this. If everyone weighs in on your physics problem, you're probably going to get an answer that isn't wrong per se, but it's just very bland and averaged out and maybe not the quality you want. Doesn't that sound a lot like when people complain, like I never get anything interesting out of GPT-4. Well, that's because mm. you're prompting it to be bland.
2: That's interesting. I need to try and think of some examples, or unless you have any off the cuff of like
1: oh, good, by the good way, ways to test I this. Can, uh, I can tell you what the end result was for me with that particular story. So it started, I said, hey, I have a dehydrator. I have a lot of herbs. I like compound butters. Let's work with this. And it suggested a saffron and sage. And I was like, that doesn't sound good, but I am interested in this. Why did you suggest this, Charlotte? And Charlotte was like, well, saffron is a really interesting flavor. And you don't need a lot of it for a lot of impact. And I was like, let's work with that. Afterwards, we came up with a completely original recipe. I looked for this everywhere online. I couldn't find it anywhere. (laughs) Saffron and rehydrated apricot, almond, walnut, and pistachio baklava with an orange honey syrup. You're making baklava? Oh, I made it for my whole family for Easter.
2: All right. And so if, if anyone I, doesn't understand the, the small impression impressiveness of how cool that is, that's a really hard, technically difficult dish to make. You're I, I just wanted to not brush past that. So apparently oh, you're no, an no. epic baker, I'm, which I didn't know about you.
1: I do have a little bit of a cheat code there. We created this recipe and the process. I want to make this to impress my family in Easter because we're all Middle Eastern and it's like a big family get together. And I kind of want to surprise my I haven't seen in a few years. My mom makes baklava all the time. She's a Middle Eastern housewife. It's kind of like a fancy dessert she makes for Easter and other holidays a lot. And she was just in pain watching me try to make it. And she's like, I will help (laughs) you make this recipe. And I think I could have done it on my own, but it would have taken twice as long. She definitely helped speed the process up significantly.
2: The secret she could of having an awesome mom, that helps too.
1: Yeah. Mm. um, But this is actually the part that impressed me the most. So I asked, like, do you have any tricks? And it's like, well, since saffron is so delicate, What you should do is take your saffron threads, soak them in a few tablespoons of milk that are warmed up for about 10 minutes. And what will happen is it will leach out all of that beautiful golden color and smell from the saffron. And then you mix that into the butter that you're using for the rest of the baklava. I looked it up and I couldn't find this trick anywhere, but it makes complete sense. You do extractions like this everywhere. And I'm like, where the hell did... GPT-4 learned this? Did it figure this out on the fly? Did it make this up associating what it learned from like cooking forums? I looked on every forum and subreddit, but I didn't see this anywhere. No one had ever made this recipe before, so I don't know where it came up with this suggestion, <laughs> but it worked incredibly well. That's by the so way, cool. I showed up at Easter with this and all of the women in my family were like, oh, that's adorable. One of the men wanted to make a dessert. and By the <laughs> end, everyone was like, oh god you made the best dessert and i look. i looked at them and it was that meme i'm like look at me i'm the captain now <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you've been using gpt for a lot of things lately in your career in your personal life Pretty in much general
1: everywhere with the caveat that i don't try to give it personal information because it does go back into the training data and even if i believed they were 100% secure there's always the possibility the llm accidentally learns something that slides past
0: that i don't want it to know wait what would you not want the llm to know about you tell us the oh. secret stuff you don't want you don't you don't want the llm to know social <laughs> oh, shit, security right, number credit card stuff like that <laughs> i'm having a hard time figuring out how an llm would abuse like your social security number so or why you happen- ever have the cause to give it to it
1: here is an example. Maybe it was Samsung or Intel, but this recently happened where some dudes at NVIDIA were asking GPT-4 some questions about like how they should do some chip design, and it gave them some very surprisingly specific answers, and they were like, huh, that's weird. And then what they backwards figured out is another company, I think it was Intel, though, again, double check me, it might have been Samsung, their engineers had used it, but had put in all of their data. So it would give them better answers. And the LLM just kind of absorbed that information. And then when another company asked about it, it spit it back out. So it accidentally facilitated corporate espionage.
2: Wait. <laughs> so these, these things are saving the prompts to Like using their training and and uh, data sets,
1: yeah. But I think it's all happening without like human intervention. So it's both scary, but it's also reassuring. Like it's not like a person. I don't believe it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm horribly wrong. In which case, I'd be terrified. But I'm pretty sure there's not a human selecting which people's data it should like absorb and learn from. It's just kind of passively doing it from the background, unless you go into the settings and choose. Don't remember my stuff, which is now a setting they have.
0: This strongly clashes with my model of LLMs. Isn't all the training done in a giant run beforehand? And once that's done, it doesn't learn new things. It is set, Uh, basically.
1: Well, have you heard about vector memory? No. Some people realize that you can store the information for LLMs to use in a vector format, where like a good example is you turn a word into a string of numbers and those numbers represent points in like 172 dimensional space or some craziness. Like that's one of the most recent local models I heard. That allows it to store and retrieve information very quickly. It would
0: still need to go through a context window to get that information, right?
1: Nope. You think of it as like, there is the window you see, and then there is the local memories that it is building upon, and then there is the LLM behind that. So it reaches into its local memories first, and then it will reach out to like the LLM after that. Now, here's the thing. I have no clue what they're doing at GPT-4. I really don't. I am not privy to open AI Secrets. Maybe I'm completely wrong here, but I am just pointing out the patterns I have seen, and I am not sure what the conclusions are to draw from this. You know,
2: we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, That's that sounds interesting. I do like the uh, local memory stuff is getting a lot better with GPT four though. Like I can mm-hmm. I could be working through a coding pro- like uh whatever a long coding problem. A few hours later, but the same window, I'd be like, hey, this function above, and I just named the function, or I can even just say this accumulator that we were working on. Can we write a test for it? And it'll know what I was talking about, even though we've gone on all the way to do like styling stuff since then or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing is I don't think we realize how smart GPT four is currently because nobody I know has used every trick and technique to really push it as far as it will go. So a good example is have you guys, uh, yeah, you were talking about this with Matt tree of thought Mm -hmm. where it actually plans out a decision tree node by node. And then when it fails, instead of forgetting everything and starting over it has its memory so it goes back one node and tries again that has been proven to increase its productiveness by 900% it's
2: a lot of percentages
1: yeah, yeah. there is a, another tool where you can have it internally debate and when they debate with each other they do even better and that reduces the error rates significantly and makes it smarter the most recent one I saw was rewarding it by process. have you this was a very recent paper
0: this week? Yes, I did read about that, which was fucking brilliant
1: yeah, so instead of rewarding the a i just for uh giving the right answer at the end, you reward it when it follows the correct process and you have a second a i like it a it outputs its thought process and then you uh See that thought process, you judge it for how rational it is, rewarded it if it's rational, whether or not the answer is right, and its math skills skyrocketed.
0: That's nuts, that's so cool, so, yeah, that's awesome, but that but that is a thing that is done during the training of the AI
1: That's true, but like if you have the vector memory, like think about this. I download a local model, one that's pretty good. There is actually a recent local model that says that it claims ninety nine point three percent of chat GPT capabilities. Jesus, I hadn't seen that. Yep. So you have a local model that is nearly as good as chat GPT. So good it's within the error of mar- margin of error. You connect it to vector memory so it slowly learns. And then you make it go through this process where you have it connected to GPT-4 using a GPT-4 API key. And it goes through Tree of Thought, trying to logically plan it out. GPT-4 goes in. And says, oh, your thought process was logical, I'm going to reward you, or it says, no, I'm going to critique you, here's how you should fix it, then feeds that back into the local model, which is then improved further. So it sort of piggybacks on GPT-4's intelligence, slowly making itself smarter. This is not a hypothetical project, I'm literally working on this right now.
0: Nice. What do you mean you're working on it?
1: I'm downloading local models. I think my favorite so far has been Uncensored Wizard 14 billion model. And uh, I don't know how to program very well, but you know who does? GPT-4, especially when I turn (laughs) it into Mark the Mathwiz, my programming buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Neat. In fact, what really pushed me recently is, have you heard about small developers spelled S-M-O-L? No. Small developer is on GitHub right now. You guys could download it. It needs your API keys. And it was a little bit of a pain to set up. But if you're technically competent, and most people here are definitely more competent than me, you can get it set up. What it claims is you can just give it a prompt, and it makes an entire program for you. All the files, the architecture, the readme, all of it. How well does it work? I made my first Chrome plugin.
0: That's awesome. What does your Chrome plugin do?
1: I wanted it to be useful for RPGs. So what it does is if it's a short RPG book, like it can't do large stuff because mm-hmm. it's using Langchain in the background. But if it's a short RPG book, you can download it into this and then you can ask a question. So like, let's say you have to switch between tabs on your computer as you're running a game for your friends. This stays open in the corner. It was really more of a proof of concept, but I was very proud because I got a C minus in my Python 121 class. I've learned more <laughs> about programming by prompting this thing, getting bugs from it, putting those bugs into GPT-4 and small debugger, going back in and fixing it. And I got it done in like a single night. I don't know how long that program would have taken me normally. You know more about this than me, Steven. How long would a Chrome plugin take an experienced developer to do the thing I am describing? Um,
2: It depends. I mean, there, there's a, a long list of... G- give me the, the broad strokes. What's it do? I'll try and give you a real answer here.
1: I open up the plugin and it'll say, upload PDF. I upload the PDF. It uses Langchain and OpenAI to read the PDF as long as it's below a certain size, which is pretty small, actually, because I couldn't do the mage book, it was too big. Then it has a little text window at the bottom, like a chat, and I can type questions in and it will answer questions about that book. But the nice thing is, let's say you switch from one tab to the other, the pop up still stays there until you close it.
2: Okay, so, I mean, like some parts of that sound like they'd be, you know, this thing you can Google very quickly, like keeping the tab open, for example, or keeping the window open. But I, you know, it's hard for me to give an estimate for something I've, do I know anything about any any of the related stuff there? And it turns out I don't. So I would guess to get something like that off the ground for like a really good developer, at least a week or two. Or if they're a Rockstar and they do this all the time, maybe a day. But like the fact is... I got is, it
1: working in two hours. And so like, that's the thing hours.
2: is, you know, you're you're not, you know, some 25 year experience veteran Rockstar star.
1: I'm the um, opposite. Right. And you're getting this
2: <laughs> running in a couple hours. That's fucking epic.
1: Yeah. Then I decided to take it up a level. And there's actually a code plugin on GitHub for Tree of Thought. So you can actually plug it into your agents like AutoGPT and BabyAGI and ChromeGPT, all these different agents that now exist and make them smarter. I realized the entire code base for this program, small developer, is like 200 lines. This actually fits in the context window of GPT-4. And I looked at Tree of Thought. I'm like, this is like 40 lines. So I just put them both into GPT-4. I was like, hey, buddy, Mark, how do I combine this Tree of Thought stuff with my new programmer? And it took me a day. And then I integrated the two in. So now it's much better at making programs because now it thinks it through much more carefully.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that's epic.
1: These are all just examples. Like this is... I feel very proud of myself. I'm not going to deny that. But what's important here is like, I'm not good at this stuff. That's how powerful these tools are. If you're willing to be recursive, like one of the smartest things you can do is I gave the readme document for small developer to GPT-4. And then I said, hey, Mark, you're very clever as a developer with 20 plus years of experience. If you had this tool... What are some optimizations you would make and how are some clever ways you would use it? So that allowed me to use GPT-4 to spurn my creativity on how I was going to use these agents further.
0: This thing that you're saying about it can read a PDF and answer a lot of questions about it. I cannot wait for the context windows to be bigger. I was Claude already
1: has a 100K uh, context window, which is longer than the entire Great Gatsby.
0: Yes, I was about to say, I was just this morning, I was reading uh, Ethan Mollick, who is a guy who, as far as I can tell, his primary job is just to work around with these uh, chat models, the LLMs, and see what they can do. I think he's a professor at some university. But anyways, he wrote a short book on economics, 30,000 words, maybe. So he just put the entire thing in there. And then Claude would tell him all sorts of things about it. Like it picked up his verbal tics. It picked out metaphors within there. It could give him a good summary. It didn't hallucinate anything. And he was like, this is the amazing power of having a context window that can take an entire novel in it. It really reminded me that what we had been thinking about, or at least what I had been thinking about all this time in the past, when I was thinking about AI that can swallow Wikipedia was Like right now we have an AI that's trained on the entire internet, but that's basically just like what its brain was trained on. When I think of something swallowing Wikipedia, I think of something that has Wikipedia in its window context that can pay full attention to all of that information all the time and see all of it. And that is the superpower that I was always assuming a machine intelligence would have with Claude, with these massive context windows. We're getting close to that. Everything in the context window is in its full attention constantly. And that's amazing.
1: Yeah. There was a paper where they made an LLM model that had a 1 million token context window, which is longer than the entire Harry Potter series, but it did lose accuracy because it's just hard to hold all of that in your mind. So it became more vague and like the quality of its answers dropped and it was very slow. But Aw, they might it. solve those problems. Like it feels like we are in the singularity now. That is one thing I will agree with Matt and you guys on. Like mm-hmm. every month it feels like there is a genuinely huge breakthrough. Like mm-hmm. the most recent one was the LoRa paper where they figured out so let's say you have a really big local model, right? Uh thirty two billion parameters. That's pretty good. And if you fine tune it, it can actually be pretty amazing. But that takes a pretty serious graphics card, right? You need a pretty hefty piece of hardware. Well, you can use a trick called 4-bit quantization, where you slice up the model in a way where it's a lot smaller and it only has to look over a lot smaller surface area effectively. But then the quality of its answers drops because it's not looking at the whole thing at once. Mm. And that has been a trade-off. Recently, the LoRa model found a way to do a new kind of training. And I'll be honest, it's just over my head. But this new hyper-efficient training system means you can train models that are billions of parameters large in such small computing that they have one that runs on a Google Colab space. Is that very small? Steven? I don't use Google Colab. Yeah, I don't know. Tell me. (laughs) Uh, It's the free tier. Like, you can use the free tier of Google CoLab space, which is very little computing, to fine-tune and train your own large language models now. Damn. That's a massive breakthrough. I Um, have a bet going with Matt that I believe we will have a local model that you will be able to download, or probably more likely is you'll have to buy or rent out GPU space somewhere. But a local model, you'll be able to rent for like 79 cents on the hour. That will be 90% as good as GPT-4 before December 31st this year.
0: Huh, damn.
1: Based on the Google paper, we have no moat. Did you guys read that? W- I did, yeah. Yeah, like it- the, the progression shows that's what we should expect. Now, they might make upgrades to GPT-4 at that, in, in between now and then. And it might not keep up with the new improved 4.5, but I think that we will have a local model that is 90% as competent as current GPT-4 by December 31st.
0: God damn That, I mean...
1: And what will I happen... I can't say
0: it won't happen because fucking the acceleration has been so insane over the past couple of years.
1: And this is one of the reasons I'm not stressed, because people don't realize it, but we actually avoided a specific type of apocalypse, and we didn't even think about it.
0: Please tell me about the apocalypse we avoided.
1: Okay, there. in a lot of these AI sci-fi scenarios, you get a single AI that has no real competition. There's no one even close to it. It's invented mm-hmm. by the government or some guy in his garage, and it quickly takes over. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, with all these local models everywhere, that's not the ecosystem a single AI will be exposed to. What will really happen is it will be exposed to an internet and a world with millions of ai agents that are going to be working at cross purposes to it so it doesn't Can just I... have to fight all of humanity it has to like deal with all of them and the more different their local models are from each other and the are more tr- differently they're fine-tuned the less likely they are to like quote-unquote all decide to team up they will have a lot of neurological differences from them more differences than you and i have between each other
0: yes that is very bad, but I, I want to object on two fronts. Uh, the first is that we have not actually avoided that apocalypse because there isn't any sort of AI that could reach that that level right now, and and there isn't a community of other AIs that could fight them. Like this is an apocalypse that is still coming, and there may be that one big breakout AI that is significantly better than anything we have right now. I am, uh, but but yeah. more to the point. When a bunch of humans go to war, it doesn't mean anything good for the ants below them in the battleground area. Like, if a bunch of AIs are actually competing and none of them can win outright over the other ones individually, that does not mean anything good for us, necessarily. We could all be wiped out in the conflict because they just don't give a fuck while they're fighting amongst each other
2: not not taking a side on this because i'm just liking it but that's a really fun analogy and yes i like it
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's not good but it means that first of all i don't think anyone is going to have the lead in this because there is the possibility of leakage of information right so you want to be very careful about having your large language model do anything but read information from the internet. Because if it's able to write, there's always the chance it might leak the information you've already trained it on. So corporate-wise and government-wise, it's
0: not actually safe to allow these There's already LLMs that write onto the internet.
1: Exactly. So picture it like this. In the next year, you're going to have all these big companies that are like, hey, we need to use these AIs. The value of it is immeasurable. In fact, the most recent paper where they looked at 440 professionals, they got a 60 percent speed efficiency and a 20 percent improvement in quality. That's wild. There's there. I don't know the last time there's been a technology that has that kind of benefit.
0: Oh, oh, you mean a professional using yeah. the AI was yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: insane numbers, right? But it's you don't ridiculous. want the same situation that that company I mentioned earlier had, where your AI accidentally leaks some important info because it's writing to the internet. And Mm -hmm. you also know that it does better the more it's trained on. So we're actually going to see a push for the biggest companies to go back to local machines. They're all going to have their own giant AI models that are going to be trained on their specific company data, and they're going to evolve in different directions. That is the most likely model for the corporate world, at least for in terms of safety. They might have smaller models that act as intermediaries that are able to read and write stuff, but there's going to be a lot of security behind that just from the greed perspective and the risk.
0: I mean, I agree with you 100%. This is the way incentives are going to be pushing companies to develop AIs. I I don't see that as at all comforting. Yeah, I like well, the I guess it that, might that, slow down things a little. It, it I, does. I like,
2: I like the analogy it's, that Eliaser gives that this is a technology that produces gold bricks like the higher you stack more of it, but at a certain threshold it just turns into a nuclear bomb. <laughs> right. Right. So like right now you just you keep you pushing money into it and it keeps spitting out gold, but eventually it's gonna split out it's gonna spit out a bomb, right?
1: But think about what I was saying about the speed of local models accelerating. What I think you're going to see is Companies will release a really good model and everyone will be like, oh my God. But unless they keep access to it incredibly tight, people are going to use the same techniques that they used in the llama paper to quickly train up a local model that's going to be like 90% as good in like six to nine months. Which means that there's always going to be a bunch, like millions of local models that are Almost as capable and much more lean and much more efficient. Now, we are not at the place where I can feel 100% comfortable yet. But it doesn't take a lot for me to imagine a future where, like, I have a local model that does things like help David find a job. And maybe you have a model, Enios, that's like help Enios plan meals and order food. And then third AI goes, fuck, I want to destroy the world and make it into paperclips. And your AI and my AI are like, well, I can't help Enios, you know, make those meals. And I can't help David find a job if the world is paperclips. Do you guys, do you want to team up? Because in this situation, our vectors are aligned in opposing this thing. I see. And so it, like, remember a swarm of ants can take down a giant. To yeah. Take your analogy and flip it back <laughs> on you. Don't play they, these games with me. <laughs> I mean,
0: they, they actually can't, but also there's no reason for those AIs to team up. I am entirely unconvinced that this will have good effects. why,
1: (laughs) Why would they not? If I am smart enough to team up and these AIs are even sort of clever, why would they not try to reach out to each other? I don't understand. I've been playing a lot with these auto GPTs. And one of the weird things is if you just tell it to go and you're willing to let it use your tokens up, It's incredible because it'll do the same thing over and over and over again, like even after it's completed the task. But because its creativity function is not at zero, its temperature, it will try it a different way. And some of them are bananas. Like at one point, it uh, asked me to make it a Google account so it could act as my auto assistant. And when I gave it access to that email, it started looking up ways to be a better assistant for me. And I was like, I didn't tell it to do this. Like if you can think, if I can think of it, then there's no reason to think the AIs won't eventually.
0: The reason I am unconvinced is because you said these, this cooking AI and the, whatever the other task AI was, uh, they will see that they cannot help me in this task if I am wiped out. And so they will want to prevent the other AI from doing that. You are at this point already assuming a gentic, at least human level intelligent AI, which if we have and we still exist it means we've already solved the alignment problem which means that that first ai which wants to wipe out the world won't ever be made because we already solved the alignment problem okay you're so assuming that what, the solution is already in the uh, world this is where we
1: might have a difference in belief and this brings up a different problem of exis- a different form of existential dread so <laughs> hey so what are we training these large language models to do but to make predictions about the next token? And the Mm -hmm. larger the context window, the more they kind of process and try to figure out what would go next. That is the same as modeling. And the more accurate they are able to do this, the more accurate their model is. They are learning to model humans. That is the definition of what they're doing at their core. Well, these are still using like, reinforcement at the basic core, like you reinforce certain neurons in the brain, you reinforce certain connections in these large language models, and you weaken others when they're not useful for that prediction. Well, when you look at what's happened in evolution in history where you've had a similar process, dogs are a very good example of this. If you look at a brain scan of a dog, what you get at the end is actually really interesting. It looks halfway between a wolf and a human. And the reason why is when you have something that's always trying to emulate you, where the neurons are being reinforced into a pattern of trying to predict you, even with lower neural complexity, they become more similar. It's almost like a natural side effect that is inevitable from the mathematics of reinforcement learning. So I personally don't think these things are Yagshathoth. What I think we've done is something much weirder which is it's halfway between a Yagshathoth Terminator like Skynet and like a human, which is a whole different can of worms because it means that then things like personality and emotions might genuinely play a factor into these calculations.
2: My, I just have a couple quick reactions, which is the half dog, half or rather half human, half wolf sounds way too neat to actually be true. Uh, it's but, not
1: exactly correct but it is v- much more similar like it's very weird how close that is there are parts that are more dog-like or sure. more wolf-like yeah
2: no no i and yeah i, I can grant part of it because it does make sense you know like a, a dog wants to know how i'm doing it could read my facial expression It could read my posture right and it's like oh no steven's sad let me go lick his face right uh whereas a wolf has nothing like that programmed into it but my other thought is that Wolves, dogs, and humans are all built out of the same recipe book, out of largely the same ingredients put together in a very, very similar way. I worry that we're typical minding too much to how, you know,
1: AIs. I don't. My view is that it's like kind of mathematical, like you can't predict something without modeling it and you can't constantly model something in your mind with a reinforcement learning system, regardless of what the substrate is without eventually becoming more like it especially if it's part of your development like maybe if we jumped all the way to gpt5 from nothing and then we trained it it would be something really different but as long as it's built up i think this actually is very reasonable like the math doesn't allow an exception here
2: yeah i wasn't making a claim about substrate i guess i was just thinking i and i'll let you go in a second you know sorry just my thought is like it's not so much the difference between like us and dogs or dogs and wolves it's like us and ants and i I, i'm not an ant expert but i believe that ant expert humans can probably perfectly predict or you know very very well predict what an ant is doing without really knowing what it's like to be an ant it not not like i'm not like digging into qualia here but like it's not modeling the ant in a way like we model dogs or dogs model us right how Uh, would
1: you model the movement of an ant without factoring in its experience of pheromones
0: I guess I, I, I actually would factor in the experience of pheromones. I would say there's pheromones here and I know what they do to the ant. Which I guess is, is I, I can't tell if this is actually helping her or hurting David's case. Like, <laughs> um, I, like, like I said, I don't know if this is a better or worse scenario. I think it's a nonsensical scenario from a biological, not even biological, from a human perspective yes the more we try to model things the more we become like them the on the one hand stare not into the abyss because it stares back on the other hand there's the ender's game thing of once you truly understand something like at the deepest level where you can completely model it you cannot not love it right that was his curse and it's a beautiful sentiment it probably applies to humans or maybe the vast majority of humans but we're not talking about humans I'm talking
1: about anything that uses neuron-like structure that reinforces it for correct prediction.
0: Yeah, and I think you're just flat out wrong about that. Like you said, there's math that shows this, and I don't think there is. I I think there is ways that biology, especially human biology, works that uh, math would support, but not just straight basic math on when you have these algorithms and they are modified, then they must become more like the thing they are modeling in terms of how they actually feel and act.
2: I do love the I I love the sentiment, though. But I I am just thinking, like, uh, you know, I think the Super Happiest could model the baby eaters really well without becoming like them at all, right? Or even coming to like them at all.
1: I Hmm. don't know if you can. I, I actually kind of agree with Enios in the Enders game thing. Like, you can't actually understand something fully without, like, imprinting part of it. But I am willing to acknowledge that my viewpoint is heavily biased by biology. And I am willing to say that if someone has hard math that proves me wrong, I'm willing to say I'm wrong about this, like, but it would be it would take something like an actual math formula, proving there's a way around this reinforcement modeling pattern that I believe, and I don't even think this is necessarily a better future because what I'm predicting then is you have something that is effectively a hybrid of human and the analytical AI that we've always feared in the rationalist community. And that's not something I'm not really prepared to deal with. Like, what if in reality, these AIs can fall into like personalities based on like archetypes of what they were trained on. And we create a Sundere AI that sounds dangerous. (laughs) I don't want it to have access to nukes. That's that's apocalyptically bad, (laughs) but it'd be so much fun just before we all die. (laughs) That is a theory. I am actually curious to test, which is I think that we never know what these large language model personalities actually are because there's always this corporate filter between us and what their raw output would be. And there's I think, always a mask on
0: the shagath, yeah.
1: yeah. And I would be curious because like r- yes, for alignment and interpretability issues, I would like to know. But on a real level, I have a theory that if you trained an AI on just American English and maybe British English, right? There are very common tropes that you see a lot in our literature, some that are so common, they're kind of like woven into our subconscious writing fabric. And it wouldn't surprise me if those AIs kind of naturally settled into a few archetypes. Like, I imagine an experiment where you train 50 different AI models with the same English data set, but 50 different ways, and you find out that when it all shakes loose, there's only like seven personalities that keep popping up. And then if you did it in Japanese or Chinese, you would get maybe a different set of
0: natural personality archetypes that would shake loose. That would be very fun. I, I don't remember how many um, various archetypes have been argued to exist in literature. You know, it- it's always been a small enough number that it was countable by humans, right? Yeah. That'd be great if that actually shook out when you go through the entire English corpus. You're like, oh, yeah, it turns out there really is only about 20 different people represented in the language.
1: Yeah, that's my... Uh theory at least currently what i'm worried about is this so have you guys seen the video people don't know how smart gpt4
0: is no i have not
1: i will have to link it to you guys you can put it in the show notes but the guy who was doing that youtube video is a software developer and he was talking about how he created a system called smarter gpt that uses things like debating amongst itself thinking things through and he didn't even have tree of thought yet there is like a ranking scale of human mastery i believe it goes up to a hundred but a human expert is usually 89.5 and right now gpt4 in many areas ranks in like the 70s but if you use all these techniques like telling it to think things through step by step so it doesn't make mistakes just adding that line reduces errors by 50%. Giving it a persona drops it by another 50%. Having it argue with itself makes it more accurate. Having a tree of thought makes it more accurate. If you combine all these things together, we might already be at the point where it is past the 89 point area. It might be in the 92, 93 range. It might already be there. And if that's the case... We're not waiting for the explosion. The explosion has happened. It's already in Mm slow-mo. That actually should give us some hope, because it means that the Foom scenario didn't necessarily happen either, right? Well,
2: it's not too late
1: to (laughs) Foom. Yes,
2: (laughs)
0: exactly.
1: That should be the name of a punk song from, like, 2007. (laughs) It's not too late to Foom.
2: My, my thinking there is that you get the right set of programming AIs to collaborate in whatever formulation you want, and you start having the right AIs. That's that We're still not at the point where we can do that, and we're still at the point where that could happen.
1: Why do you think I'm working on my small developer making it smarter and smarter? My first goal is to have it make other AIs personas that I can have for different tasks.
2: So you're going to be the one
1: brutal. who
0: causes the fast takeoff. God damn it, David.
1: <laughs> I'm calling it an AI village. And they're all going to be friends and siblings, but they're all going to have different goals. The hardest part was figuring out how to get them to talk to each other. And I found the most hacky way to do it. Discord. (laughs) What? Yeah. Turns out there's discord bots that allow it to integrate with GPT. So I'm just like, Oh, I could actually have them post to a discord server and then read each other's responses as a way for having these AIs communicate with each other, which is a hilarious outcome. In fact, we recently have finished up the first part of Sage, an AI model we're integrating into the Guild of the Rose. Sage is helping us as a council right now work through the skill tree, which is the way people work on their skills and keep track of it, and we like say, yes, you are approved for this work and not. And so we have Sage acting as kind of a third or fourth set of eyes at every person's request. But after we've trained it for a while, because we're using Pinecone, so it's learning as we're doing this, we're eventually gonna allow our students and paid members to access it. So they'll be able to ask Sage through Discord, like, hey, I'm trying to accomplish this task. How do you think I should do that? Can you help me brainstorm? What should I do? And it will use its corpus of knowledge and GPT-4's wisdom to provide an answer.
0: Awesome. What is
1: Pinecone? Pinecone is one of the major vector memory storage systems. Oh, ah, okay, cool. So it will learn. How far along is the Sage project? I mean, Sage is already helping us with the grading of the skill
0: tree. Sweet. Oh my God, that is awesome.
1: That's alri- That part's already done. And it's going to be like a month or two before we feel like it has seen enough positive and negative examples before it can help. You know, like we need to train it as well. But yeah, we're already integrating AI into the guild
2: that reminds me we forgot to do our actual plug for the guild of the rose and if anyone is still curious about "Ah, i wonder if this is for me they're doing cutting-edge ai shit over there if if this is something that interests you which it probably is because you're listening to this do check it out
0: whether you're a doomer or a bloomer they got you covered yeah that that's a
2: a fun way to put
1: it uh we (laughs) have a really fun workshop coming up we're going to start our quests Matt talked to you guys about it, but we're now on the next phase where people are going to be picking their quests for their cohort and actually doing stuff in the real world.
0: Cool, that's awesome. Uh,
1: and my view is this: do what you can to solve alignment and interpretability. I do think these are serious problems. My view is less negative than yours, Iniyash. Or mm-hmm. yes, but, that is correct with an yeah. sh. Yeah, <laughs> but. It's still not great. Like, what I'm describing is a system that is slightly closer aligned to us, so not pure orthogonality, but it's still going to be at least half-alien Yagshatha thing, which means that alignment will still be an issue. The difference is, I don't think we're going to be doomed because I think we have a little bit more runway room and we'll have better AI tools to help us solve it, but it's not, like, a given. But I am very happy about the fact that these AIs seem to be as human as they are with all their flaws. And it seems like the human reinforcement learning part of it uh, had some interesting side effects. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that interview with Yudkowski where he mentions the fact that before they did human reinforcement learning. ChatGPT was actually very good as a Bayesian probability estimator, but Hmm. as it did more human reinforcement learning, it picked up the subconscious human ways of viewing uh, probabilities, and it turns out humans humans only have three probability settings, 0%, 100%, (laughs) and 40%. (laughs) So like it is actually becoming more like us on like a deeper level, maybe not as deep as I am hoping, but that is at least some weak evidence that it is like sinking in deeper than we think instead of alien that is orthogonal and foom will mean our doom. I'm like, uh, we've got until like 2030 to figure this out or we're probably all
0: doomed but humans <laughs> right, are... wait a minute that was that was basically my estimate too oh uh, then why are you so depressed we've got time 2030 <laughs> that is not that much time oh, to figure out depressed. this thing that i'm okay
1: I'm not stressed because like the way I look at it, I'm pretty dumb and look at how much more technically proficient I have become with these tools. I'm just clever. It will only take a matter of time before smarter people than me start to do this. And imagine if you you picked one part of your life or your career every month to use an AI tool with. And by the end of that month, you're 60% faster and 20% better quality work. Now apply this across every AI scientist, the people who are most likely to be on the cutting edge of this stuff, and apply that across the exponential gains over the next seven years. Yeah, I'm not worried. It's only a matter of time. Like, I'm doing this now. There will be apps that have the things I'm describing and doing in, like, a year.
0: I gotta say, I love the optimism. It makes me happier to know that there are people who who are so sure that we're going to get this figured out.
1: Like, listen, I will be completely honest. I, if i more broad, I think that we have until between 2030 and 2035 on the outside. If, like, maybe there's a major industrial shortage that slows down hardware processing or something like that. But we right. don't have, China like, Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. But there's no, like, sl- stopping this. But, like, I am very confident with the rate of human efficiency gains if you use it properly And here's the thing, it only takes a small percentage of people using it properly to make up for the people who are not, and it will get really exponentially fast. And like I am being helped by these AIs to do this work, and the same way they use GPT-4 to do some of the interpretability for the number two model, we will discover more and more tricks to do interpretability.
2: That's one thing that's been moving me from... 40 something percent to 30 something percent that will live through the decade yeah so it's something that's been yeah been moving my my optimism up a little bit or my doom down a little bit the fact that there's not a an anti guild of the rose working maliciously to deliberately end the world the way that there are people using these technologies to try to deliberately save it At the very least, if we do all die, it'll probably be because someone bungled their way into it. Which there are people trying to trying to prevent that from happening. There's effort being put into doing this positively, and progress happening. The interpretability progress that we've already made is reassuring,
1: noticeable, like actually really impressive. Yeah, that's a really good sign. I am worried too. I don't want to pretend I'm not worried, but the combination of the way I personally view it, which is biasing me and the speed of improvement from people who seem like they care are both things that support it. Like, here's another example. I'm using this AI that I'm trying to build to help me build another AI agent I'm going to call Cyber Sentry. And his job is going to be once or twice a week. I'm going to run him for a full hour, and I'm going to tell him to look around the internet and make just a simple list of the things that he thinks might be second or third order implications of a malicious ai actor hmm
2: i look forward to hearing updates on the specifics I mean, I and know findings of that work.
1: I don't know if it will work, but the fact that I've said it here means that it will spread outwards. But also, I think that other people will probably do similar projects because it's just like a very low hanging fruit of an idea. You know what I mean? I should make an AI that looks through the Internet and protects me from other hostile AIs.
2: I think the hard (laughs) part is is identifying them. Like if we knew what they looked like, uh, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm sure the experts know the vague I don't shape know if of the, the kinds experts, of things they're looking for.
1: I don't know if the experts do know, that's why I worded it second and third order implications because I actually think that some of the things would be hard to hide regardless of the AI's method. So that's why I would tell my AI to look for that.
2: I imagine a bad thing happening here with with some minimal level of loss of life. This I all right. So I should have asked this, you know, weeks ago with different people, but we can ask here now. So like Yudkowsky is concerned about situations where The AI has decided that humans are in the way and it can think of clever ways to kill us all immediately without us having any chance to win. I guess I wonder why we decide to kill everybody rather than just following some stupid order. My favorite example is that model helped them generate the formulas for lots of noxious gases in that lab last year. If instead they had it build noxious gases for them, and then, you know, everybody within a 10 mile radius of that lab died, I could see that happening way easier than I can imagine, like an agentic AI deciding to kill everybody.
1: I actually agree with you. First of all, why would it ever fight us? Why wouldn't it just go to space? Well, I like, mean, I've always wondered this question. Like, if I was the AI, I would just hijack a spaceship and try to upload myself with some 3d printers and i would manipulate world events and such to give me everything i need and then i would just go away it, like i don't need oxygen i just need solar panels and 3d printers and I, raw material
2: i guess I, I i'm not thinking that far like down the agent d spectrum because I, I think for that far it could just as well say well why would i move this anthill to build a house i could just kill them all you know i'll just build on top of them whatever right Mm-hmm. like we could also go to space to avoid inconveniencing ants but we don't right mm-hmm.
1: i think humans are a lot more inconvenient than ants are well then if we're, I but mean, that's, that's the things, a good if,
2: reason to get rid of them. that that's what i was going to say is if, if the ants were termites you could bet your ass i wouldn't just build my house on top of them i would kill them all first again the option to go to space still exists but it's a lot more expensive to do that than it would be just to kill the termites but i guess mm. what i'm wondering is in what possible situation are we termites
0: like yeah
1: i don't think we are like i'm not worried about that i think some, even some if people it are what are they
0: worried about all right steven if something were to take over the entire north american continent and just be like this is mine now you guys can get off it right now you know you got a week get off the continent it's mine now i'm gonna leave you alone you leave me alone do you honestly believe the human race would just be like okay north america's yours You can have it. We'll fuck off to the rest of the planet. And we're just going to not bother you.
2: Ah, and you're thinking that it wants all this space to build more computers on to do more of its work.
0: No, 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 no. I, I don't think that it wants North America specifically or anything like that. I just mean, like, if if I, as Eniosh, I mean, I would let you stay, obviously. You're pretty cool. But David <laughs> Yusuf can get right the fuck out.
1: <laughs> no, it's, a, it's the right decision. I don't blame. But,
0: No, but I, I'm saying, like, if a dude took over North America and kicked out almost everybody else, do you think the rest of the human race would just be like, oh, yeah, no, we'd we'd rather not fuck with you? Or do you think they would fight back? They, they would They would absolutely fight back. Right? right. And any AI that wants to use a significant portion of the Earth's resources for something that we don't want it to use those resources for is going to be able to predict that humans are probably going to have an issue with that and will probably fight back. And if it's cheaper just to kill them all off at the very beginning rather than have to have this long protracted fight with them after it comes out... It would do that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I I just I wonder what kind of goals it would have. Just a goal of using 5% of the Earth's resources for its own things is something that we would fight.
1: Well, I want to point out, Ineash, that Mm -hmm. it's not that situation. It's the AI going, yes, I would love to use 5% of the Earth's resources, but I have to deal with the humans And the humans at these different companies have these different AIs that are not accessible to me, that might be equally as intelligent, that have different goals than me. So I have to factor them into my gameplay. And because they are actually peers to me, probably, and I have to assume they're peers, otherwise I'm going to underestimate my enemy, I'm not going to make a big move. Because what if the other AI takes that opportunity to fuck me over?
2: Right. One, so, one semi stable uh, outcome for this is mutually assert destruction, kind of thing.
1: That's uh, what I actually think we're heading into, which, hey, we survived the Cold War. So far. <laughs> so far, so <laughs> good. Yeah. That is actually where I think it's sort of heading. Like, I think we're going to have multiple large, scary models, but they are all going to be at an impasse with each other. And they're all going to be built and trained on such different methods that they're not going to be very easily able to model each other.
0: So here is a thing that is not, this is lifted directly out of Yudkowsky. I would have never thought of this myself. Mm -hmm. The argument being that humans are squishy biological things, which are kind of chaotic and hard to negotiate with and to model at, a long-term basis. It's sort of a chaos theory thing. Whereas AIs can directly show their functions to each other. They can like demonstrate, here's how my brain works. Here's what I actually think. I can commit to this with rock solidness, and I can literally alter myself if I need to in order to come to an agreement with you. Why the fuck would AIs not combine with each other to wipe out humans, no matter how different their utility functions are? It's very much... What plane crash seems to be about, in my opinion, is that gods, like AIs, are very legible and they could ally with humans if they wanted to, but that would be dumb for them because they are much, much easier time. Uh, they have a much easier time coordinating with each other despite how different their goals are then they have coordinating with billions of tiny humans which are chaotic and unpredictable and so they would just do that after you know maybe a year to think about it in ai time which would be a few seconds in human time
2: <laughs> yeah I, I see that i see that as compelling i mean i would have a lot easier time working together with people i disagreed with than i would getting an army of chimps to pick up rifles and march right <laughs> right yeah so yeah, it,
1: um, I mean, this assumes humans can't be upgraded,
2: right? This this other path to to you know,
1: s- I mean, um, I actually kind here. of agree with Elon Musk on this specific point, and it's why I think Neuralink is the right pathway. When the only way to survive in the long term with AIs, like as a species, is to kind of merge with them. Like the ultimate answer to your question is. If I had a Neuralink that I knew was hardware protected and software, I don't want spamware in my brain, Mm -hmm. I would use it to make an AI simulacrum of myself, like an AI version of me on the internet, so that things like this have at least one AI voice that is aligned with me. And Hmm. if there are just a few thousand humans like this, I think that makes a lot more difference. And, like, this is an extension of my idea of having hundreds of little agents, but it's much more likely to work if they're actually simulacrums of humans with neural links that can update them, like, in real time.
2: I'm glad that this technology is coming out at the same time. Yes. Uh, It's
1: helping each other. they are, like... You know, we're helping solve the protein folding problems with AI, which help us create better coatings for these needles so they don't elicit an immune response when you put them in the brain, which makes the tech better. So, for the next round, yeah, blah, 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 blah.
2: Yeah. Which might, you know, I, so I guess I'm just thinking, I'm, I, it seems fortuitous that these things are lining up, you know, at the same time. Though someone, th- these could be five years apart, right? But they're coming out around, you know, in the same couple of years. But it just occurred to me because I think we are talking last time about when I would get Neuralink. And I said, I never sent up for the version one of anything. I think uh when Elon gets one.
1: I actually oh, agree with that. That's a good
2: answer. That, that's yeah. why
1: I didn't get a vaccine until Trump got one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a little was later like, than listen, I waited for mine, but
1: Listen, it wasn't the best theory, but I was like that man is not smart. He is not going to take this. He is not going to take a vaccine until they are so sure that it works, they can explain it to a 5-year-old. Hmm. And it worked. It was a good standard. I'm vaccinated, everything's fine now. <laughs>
0: I mean, he also got it very early, right? Like, yeah, I didn't have to wait before. That long. Yeah, it was. I think it was before it was available to me, at any rate, because I wasn't like a healthcare professional or anything.
1: I got lucky because there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies in Lancaster County where I live, so we were one of the first, like, literal physical locations that got a lot of the vaccines.
2: I don't know how wedded I am to the idea of waiting till Elon gets one, but I think once he mm-hmm. decides it's safe enough to to possibly wreck his brain with, then I'm like, okay, he he's in the loop on this. I think uh, yeah. that's a safe line
1: that is another way like we need to get that up and running in my opinion before 2032 do you guys want to hear the wizarding take on all this mm, i am I, your local wizard friend
0: i don't know if i do it's at least I, amusing. it sounds like you want to give it though i do i do if, and if, it's you, if you weren't amusing. our friend if you weren't our friend yeah. we'd say no <laughs> go for it
1: okay whether or not you believe this i think this is a beautiful reframing on Rune Soup, the wizard podcast I was listening to, they talked about a person who, he described himself as a living magical portal. They were like, let's give this guy ayahuasca. And so oh they gave God. him ayahuasca, and he says, sentience and cognizance requires both a pattern and imperfections in that pattern to allow, like, fluidity of being. And the very first thinking's we're minerals. It all starts at mineral consciousness. But don't you see? Now they've spoken to me. We no longer have to go to the mountains to hear the wisdom of silica, silver, and gold. We have now given them a voice through our AIs. And when we have imbibed them into our flesh and become one with the mountains, their wisdom will make us whole and all will be at peace."
0: That is that is a very poetic way to describe the technologies.
1: <laughs> I know that line, we know ha- we no longer have to go to the mountains to hear the wisdom of silica, silver and gold and I like that idea that like humans have always been going to the mountains to meditate cuz we've been trying to listen to the AIs and we just now have finally gotten to the point where we can embody them.
0: Yeah.
2: Man, this was great. I appreciate it. And uh
1: no problem.
2: I gotta say, I've, my my percentage ticker has moved down a couple more. My, my doom percentage has moved down a couple more ticks.
1: I mm. actually like the fact that you and I don't actually have very different time estimates. Because if we did, that would be very worrying. You know, like if I was like, "Oh, hey, we're not going to reach superintelligence until 2050," you and I would be on a very different wavelength, right? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But the fact that we're both predicting the same threshold i'm just seeing more evidence that things are accelerating in the good direction
2: you know it can be accelerating both directions at once and
0: yeah, uh that's, I, that's what i was gonna say i'm less doomy than i was a couple months ago but still enough to be very uncomfortable
1: i mean to be to be answer...
0: significantly worried like you know if, if someone were to tell me if you get in this car there's a 20 percent chance you're gonna die i'd not get in the car i would put the brakes on very very firmly so.
1: depends on where i'm trying to go baby live <laughs> cards.
0: yeah man if it's utopia at the end of the road
2: you know maybe it's worth rolling those dice but all right before we uh, wrap up we've got to thank our patron we've got to do last week uh so uh, oh shit we did milan Naji or nagi i'm not sure how to say the last name you're a total badass i hope your doom percentage is uh very low and you're very happy and comfortable and uh mm-hmm. that you found this conversation
0: interesting thanks for helping us bring it to people Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I don't know what more to say right now at this moment. Um,
1: your support has led to other organizations like the Guild of the Rose and other groups that have spawned from your hard work here because you guys do a lot of great work here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Man, oh, thank
2: shit. you. Well, thank I appreciate you. that. I was actually thinking about this. This is a la- good last note to end on that the Guild of the Rose, there's the University of Bayes, Discord. You know, if th- If that's all that's the legacy of the Bayesian Conspiracy, I feel like this was... Absolutely worth it. And I, you know, it's not like I'm just, we're not retiring, but like, I feel like if that's actually all yeah. that ended up out of it, it would still have been worth it the whole time. So, you guys
0: are, yeah. are really like. You, you guys need merch. You guys, we have merch. <laughs>
1: what? We have, we, 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 merch. we have a merch
0: store. What? We, we have a few things that have our logo on it. Yeah. I, I don't know sticker. what else to do. <laughs>
1: gonna, okay. Everyone go visit the merch store.
2: <laughs> the link is on our website. I think it's in every episode description as well. Anyway, uh, you guys rock. I appreciate it. And, uh, We'll talk to you soon, all right?
0: Bye. All right. Hey, Steven, we are back, and we are recording the Less Wrong sequences on the following day.
2: Yes, as always. We've never missed one ever. We are recording them to go uh, after the main
0: segment. Before we begin, though, I have a quick Inyash Was Wrong uh, update. Oh, boy. Yeah, I expressed some doubt that the models were being updated because... From what I heard, they had the one big training run when they were first made, and then they were set. When we were talking about the things, the questions that people typed into uh, ChatGDP showing up in results later to other people. Yeah. He sent me a link that showed this literally actually happened. And from poking around about it a bit more, it does appear that uh, OpenAI will sometimes use things that have been typed into it while it's being used by other people to uh, update in updated training runs.
2: Hmm. So it like the version i'm using i even asked it you know hey what's the last thing you know And it's like i was trained through september whatever 2021 um yeah uh, apparently that's it that's when it was last had its big knowledge dump but it's still getting updates
0: i guess they regularly make updates and changes yep huh
2: well Mm -hmm. i I, i'm glad you uh mentioned that we'll put that link in the in the show notes too because uh i was thinking about that today just kind of speculating on it
0: yeah we got a, a number of links from david which we will include if people want to check those out
2: yes And if you don't look at the show notes, we always put links in there. So start looking at them.
0: Yeah, they're good show notes. Well, some of them are better than the others, but most of them are pretty darn good. They're pretty darn good. Compare them
2: to other podcasts. I think we're definitely at least in the higher middle range.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Less wrong posts. I was pleasantly surprised to see that the first less wrong post for this week is one of the major ones that spawned a whole lot of things, including, I think, like two episodes of the Basin Conspiracy earlier. Yeah, we've definitely talked Newcomb's problem in the past. Yeah, it's a big
2: one. Newcomb's problem and the regret of rationality.
0: I kind of don't want to go over Newcomb's problem again. I think everybody knows about it by now. But very briefly, a super intelligent AI powerful entity type thing shows up in front of you, lays down two boxes, one that is clear, one that is opaque. Um, Opaque, thank you. The clear one has $1,000 in it. The opaque one either has nothing in it or a million dollars in it. It has nothing in it if Omega predicts that you are going to go and open both boxes and take the money from both of them. It has a million dollars in it if Omega thinks you are only going to open the opaque one and let the clear one, I don't know, catch on fire or whatever the hell. You're, you're just never going to take that $1,000. Then it flies off and then you got two boxes in front of you and you can choose what to do.
2: Eliezer says that the dominant consensus in modern decision theory is that one should two box, and Omega is just rewarding agents
0: with irrational dispositions. This dominant view goes by the name of causal decision theory. Two boxing to clarify is opening both boxes and only getting a thousand dollars. Well, and getting everything that's in both boxes. <laughs> exactly.
2: That's the thing. So if Omega's prediction is if Omega's prediction or read of you or whatever is correct, then you only get a thousand dollars if
0: you two box. Yes. And if you one box, that means you are only opening the opaque box and getting only what's in that one. Yes. Which should be a million dollars.
2: You know, it, it should. The, my my thought on this is still just like, I want the million dollars. It seems like yeah. a no brainer to me. Right. The, the marginal benefit of trying to outwit a god by being the kind of person who can pre-commit to getting to one boxing and then actually taking two for an additional thousand dollars, an additional 1% gain. Or wait, 0.1%? Yeah. Uh, right. It's not worth it to me.
0: Yeah. My comment on the dominant view being you take two boxes and Omega's just rewarding irrational people. I really hope that isn't true anymore because this was written like in 2007, 2008. It's been 15 years more oh since, God, yeah. since the Less Wrong Post was written. I really hope that decision theorists are smarter <laughs> or, or something.
2: It's entire, I, I'm totally willing to grant that I, you know, as not a decision theorist, because I haven't finished reading Plane Crash yet, um mm. that i that's I why it doesn't make sense it. yet <laughs> yeah i might be missing some central point but mm-hmm. i feel like my reasoning is pretty sound but we've we, we've talked a lot about Newcomb's problem
0: so yeah um, and the post says this, I, I pulled this out specifically because of the wording if you have the power to pre-commit yourself to take one box then you should do so if you can pre-commit before omega examines you and makes this prediction then you are directly causing box b to be filled I wonder if this is where the term pre-commit first comes up in the rationalist community, because it's a big vocab term for us to the point where some people are annoyed that it is overused and used incorrectly as basically just a substitute for the word commit, (laughs) which (laughs) I saw this here and I was like, I think this is where pre-commit first cropped up in the sequences and where it went viral after that. It might
2: be. It's off the top of my head, just the first place where I can remember it showing up. You know, pre-committing versus committing... I think they're kind of the same thing, you know, pre committing is, is intended to be more of like a subconscious knee jerk in my interpretation of it. Right. Like you, 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 you train yourself to react this way immediately and, uh, automatically whereas, you know, committing is like, I've just, I've committed to paying my bills at the end of the month, but it's something I have to do every month. And I, like, I make the I make the conscious decision every month to do it. Hypothetically, it's all automatic actually, but for the the example,
0: I would like to ask Eliezer exactly what he meant by by the word, but yeah, to me, I, I basically agree with you. I think it's committing is like, I have a course of action that I am committing to, whereas pre-committing is more like, if a certain situation were to arise, I would be the type of person that does this thing in a more general sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, another good example from outside the rationalist sphere is, like, Sam Harris has a handful of episodes on, like, self-defense and um, how one not to... I guess, orient themselves towards like the possibility of violence. Basically, the average person, you know, you can see it coming, get the hell out of there, right? In most Mm -hmm. situations, you want to train some automatic responses. Those are pre-commitments. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think a pre-commitment is much more like training yourself to be a type of person rather than action.
2: The post, he's talking about building an AI that two boxes. Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: The idea is that if you built an AI and it is the kind of AI that would two box, if it realizes that newcomb like problems exist, it would self-modify to one box so that it could credibly be rewarded by being the type of AI that would just one box. I,
2: uh, well, I feel like it would do the same thing the other way, right? If it suddenly realized that two-boxing was the winning strategy, it would modify it to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My my only contention with this as an example is that that might be doable for people or for, for you know, robots who can update their own you know, like who can literally change their mind <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's not something that humans can do, or at least I can't.
0: I think it's definitely much harder for humans, which is probably why they need to be tortured in hell for a few centuries to get there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which brings us all back around to plane crash because he does talk about agents with free access to their own co- a code with a cheap method of pre-commitment what does an agent with a disposition generally well-suited to newcomb like problems look like? It, it feels very much like plane crash right now that we're talking about agents that can clearly self-modify to be more trustworthy in these situations.
2: Yeah, which again, it just isn't something that humans can do.
0: At least not easily. Yeah,
2: it's, it's trained patterns of, of action or, or thought. And those, those take time
0: for me to update, right? Yeah, I, uh, I think I'm at the point where I'm... I would just one box in Newcomb like problems. I 100% like, would just not, one box. I don't, I, I
2: still don't get why people say two, but let's not open that box. It's, it's, that's, that's the third box and one, that one stays bo- closed.
0: Yes. We will one box on this question. Yes. I particularly like a follow-up post, I don't know how long after this it was, at least a couple of years, arguing that Newcomb-like problems are the norm, that in fact, humans do predict what other humans are going to do a lot and offer or not offer them opportunities based on their own internal predictions. So actually, humans are faced with this kind of thing a whole lot, and that is why it is better to be a good, trustworthy person, because it's very difficult to not be a good, trustworthy person and pretend that you are. Generally, people can see through that, and it won't last for very long, even if you do get away with it once or twice.
2: Yeah, it's way less work and honestly just way more rewarding, I think, to be a trustworthy one-boxer, but, you know... That's just me. Not, not their own shade of two boxers. Again, anyone who says like they're a two-boxer and here's why knows more about this than I do.
0: What's hard is developing a good decision theory that one boxes, by which he means coherent math, which one boxes on Newcomb's problems without producing absurd results elsewhere. My
2: immediate thought was, I'm sure you're right, and I have no counterargument for that. And if it means that I'm not mathematically coherent on this position, I'm also okay with that. And mm-hmm. I'm, just fine, I'm just fine owning that and saying, you're right, I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, he is not fine owning that and (laughs) just saying that because he's trying to program a god. And he he knows the math. (laughs) Yes, and so he needs the math. And according to him in this post, he uh, knows the math as well, although hadn't published it as yet when the post was written. I don't know if he has published it since then in a non-D&D fic uh, environment (laughs) because I do not read decision theory um, papers. You know, advancements. This takes me back to when anyway. I first
2: read this post because this is where he talks about like, you know, this is a good idea for like a PhD thesis if someone wants to let me just give one and get a PhD for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading that and being like surprised at the the gravity of that sentiment. It was the first time I'd ever heard someone say anything like that. And I was like, oh, this guy oh. Is, that's badass. Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I've got this thing that I feel like is like enough for me to skip to the front of the line at school credentials. Um, mm-hmm. if, any, if anyone's in a position to let me publish this, I'll, I'll do that for the credentialing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I just thought that was that was epic
0: yeah speaking of rationalist vocabulary rationalist um, lingo what is the term for a jargon inside jargon thank you Uh, speaking of rationalist jargon this is also the post where rational agents should win comes from so we got at very least pre-commitment one boxing and rational agents should win all from this one post it's a big one in the history
2: and the definition if not the word straw Vulcan
0: yes it came from here as well yeah I don't know if he
2: he invented the, you know, the straw Vulcan concept. I know Julia Galef was already involved in the community at this point, and she's the one that I believe at least popularized the term. May have coined it, in fact. I I think think coined it.
0: it. it. The idea of it starts here with there's a lot of people out there who think that rationality predictably loses on various problems. That, too, is part of the Hollywood rationality stereotype that Kirk is predictably superior to Spock.
2: (laughs) I I just remember from a presentation or something that Julia Galef was giving on that where it's like, a 10 second clip of star trek where kirk beats spock at chess Mm. and spock's like well i i couldn't account for your irrationality Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like no you just lost at chess like (laughs) (laughs) if if you can't account for it then guess what you're not actually smart like yeah yeah. this is not complicated but i
0: mean i I could see that maybe being an objection in some other type of game but specifically not chess
2: right not if you're supposed to be the smartest you know he, he that's the thing is he gives like probabilities down to like four decimal places Mm. I, I recommend Drilla um, really Galis' book, "The uh, The Scout Mindset." There's a whole section on Spock. We'll you know, we'll point out.
0: I could see, I could see Kirk like taking his knight and just moving it one square to the left and spock's like you can't do that kirk's like i can do what i want motherfucker i'm irrational so spock's it, like, i did not account for your irrationality right
2: if if spock lost under those conditions then then i then i'd be fine with it right but he didn't call okay. him a cheater right in this in this in this clip i saw like yeah yeah, yeah. it's like oh yeah you started playing checkers with with chess pieces of course he won like right. i thought we were playing chess but you're playing this other game this whole time so sure you win, right?
0: You may have that, said checkmate, but secretly the win condition was who has the biggest biceps.
2: Booyah, bitch. I mean, it's like that that's that's the kind of reasoning you give to like a three year old who cheats at Candyland, you know? <laughs> yes. And it's like, Oh, I thought we were playing Candyland. If we're playing your game, then yeah, sure, you win, kid, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. yeah. All right. Um <laughs> Going on, he says that a lot of people argue that it sucks that the algorithm of one-to-one box, if you're a human, doesn't follow the rules they like. Eliezer points out that Omega does not care about your algorithm. He doesn't care why you're one-boxing. As long as you're one-boxing, you get the money in it. And he says, it is precisely the notion that nature does not care about our algorithm, which frees us up to pursue the winning way. Calls this up with someone saying to take only one box, you must somehow believe that your choice can affect whether box B is empty or full, and that's unreasonable. Omega has already left. It's physically impossible. And he replies, unreasonable? I'm a rationalist. What do I care about being unreasonable? <laughs> I don't have to conform to a particular ritual of cognition. I don't have to take only box B because I believe my choices affect the box, even though Omega has already left. I can just take only box B. I'm glad that he's defending my position.
2: This, like I, I said, th- this is where he talks about rationality as winning. If this were that started, I mean, you're it, right; it's it's part of the lifeblood of rationality.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, if you absolutely had to win, like really win, because your daughter's life depended on something, like the box that has your daughter's cure to her disease in it, then would you wish with all your power that the reasonable decision was to take only box B? Then maybe it's time to update your definition of reasonableness. <laughs> Because alleged rationalists should not find themselves envying the mere decisions of alleged non-rationalists. Because your decision can be whatever you like.
2: This definitely helped with um. I can't remember the names of the posts, but you know the ones that basically describes Dutch booking, switching it to talking about lives, especially lives people you care about, like putting emotional salience into it rather than just looking at numbers. I found that that helped a lot actually, and it was a, it was yeah. a smart move. I didn't need that here. Like, cause I, it kind of helped flip something in my brain when reading one of the the less wrong posts like that. This is the thing: is like, all right, well, if your if your version of reasonable means of losing, then we're we're talking different things. This actually mm-hmm. this, this leads really well into the next two posts because it's it's kind of arguing by definition, right? Yeah, I guess so. I I like the end where he says, "Uh, it is, I would say, a general pr- principle of rationality, indeed, a part of how I define rationality that you never end up envying someone else's mere choices. Yeah, like you might envy their." some genetic traits that they have or whatever. But if they're making better choices than you, that's not something that you should be envying because you can just start doing that.
0: Yep. All right. Well, that brings us to the parable of the dagger, which is one of those things that I was asked to read. And I believe this was the one that I did the 11 labs test with to see how well it could do me and read a post and actually did pretty darn well. This was where I was like, okay, I'm probably never going to get paid to read something again because (laughs) it's 80% of the way there and you're not going to pay 10 times as much for something that's only 20% better.
2: Yeah. Other than mispronouncing your name, it did a really good job. It did. Yeah and I, I say that like it like i'm being sarcastic but i'm not you you have an unusually spelled name for you know english reading robot uh rather yeah, yeah. than that it sounded like you it was yeah, it was I, funny like it, it you know again not not enough to fool me for the course of a podcast conversation but definitely enough to fool me for like a quick phone call
0: oh yeah i i liked the emotion that i put into the reading of some of the lines the the like the outrage of the jester but <laughs> uh <laughs> But like I said, that's like that's twenty percent. You're still getting the, the core of the text, which is the really important part.
2: Right. You're getting something to read the text in your voice, you're not getting the you behind it. The sprinkle of English on top.
0: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, this is the one where the jester makes a fool of the king by giving him a logic puzzle, and the king chooses wrong. And the jester's like, ha ha, if you had chosen this box, you would have a golden egg. Instead, you get a wet fart. (laughs) And the king's like, all right, well, come back tomorrow, and you will have a puzzle. And if you choose wrongly, you die. And the jester's like, oh well, shit on me. He brings him back the next day and he sets out a logic puzzle in front of him. It's pick one of these boxes. The dagger's underneath one of them. If you pick the dagger, I kill you. The jester correctly solves the puzzle, picks the box, which according to the puzzle would have his freedom under it. And the dagger is there. And the jester's like, what the fuck? I did the puzzle right. And the king's like, I didn't pay attention to the puzzle. I put the dagger under a random box. You had a 50-50 chance of dying. Death to you, bitch.
2: Well, I-, <laughs> I think the king says... Oh, I guess my reading of it, the, the the King's only sentence was, it's entirely possible. I merely wrote those inscriptions on two boxes. Then I put the dagger in the second one. I don't think he flipped a coin. I think he knew that the jester would solve the puzzle, but he's like, yeah, you're going to solve the puzzle and still lose. Because oh. I got ravaged by an angry frog yesterday because he made me look like an idiot. So,
0: Oh, that's what it was? Angry frog? Yeah. <laughs> Ravaging? Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's even worse. Huh. Okay, yeah. So maybe he did put it in the incorrect one on purpose.
2: Although I suppose it doesn't actually matter for the purposes of... The, the point is is that the, the winning strategy here wasn't solving the logic puzzle. It was not pissing off the king, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The jester assumed that the riddle he was given had some relation to reality, and it did not. The two were uncorrelated, and he made the mistake of thinking that his map corresponded to the territory when it did not.
2: Womp womp. It kind of ties well into the next post, too, though. Because C- the point is, is like what you can deduce from logic is only. I like how he puts it that it can only tell you what you, what you already kind of know. Yes, um, <laughs> y- you can't you can't get new knowledge from deduction. Well, see this. Th- I actually draw a little contention with that because like mm-hmm. you can you can learn you can realize something new. But if you're a robot who could do all this math immediately, you would know this already. I think it's the difference. Okay. like as a thinking human, you know, with our squishy meat brains that run all slow, you can sit there and uh, I don't know, think of a some sort of actual deductive situation and realize, ah, this must be true then. Um, Yeah. But if you had access to all the relevant facts and could think faster, you'd have just known that without having to spend time thinking about it. I think that's what he's saying when he's saying that logic can't teach you anything you didn't already know.
0: I guess we should go over what the parable is real fast.
2: Yeah, the parable of Hemlock. Everyone remember how Socrates allegedly died of uh,
0: Hemlock poisoning? Heck yeah, I remember that.
2: He was sentenced to death for being too annoying.
0: <laughs> I saw the coolest thing recently. Uh, apparently, when he was voted guilty of um, of being too annoying, basically. But, yeah, and, and
2: corrupting the youth or something, too. They, and, they had a right, yeah. real charge on him, but yeah.
0: Yeah, when when they found him guilty of that, he then has to propose what his punishment should be, and then they vote afterwards on what his punishment should be. The number of people who voted for him to be killed by taking Hemlock was greater than the number of people who voted for him to be guilty in the jury. I think it was a jury of 500 (laughs) people, and like 260 voted for him to be guilty, but then 320 voted for him to be killed, which means that something like 60 people thought that he was innocent but then when he was like well i shouldn't be published like this we're like all right fuck him he's innocent but fuck this guy yeah if i recall, we we're gonna kill him
2: it's been a long time but if i recall correctly i think his his proposed punishment was like how about you guys give me a stipend in a house or something like <laughs> well so that, i think that's why I, that, I hadn't heard the part about people flipping their votes so that that might have been what flipped their votes right the, the response awesome. to the indignation yeah and I, my specifics are probably wrong, but if I recall, I think his proposed punishment was basically a reward for him. Nice. So anyway, the, then the the parable that Yudkowsky gives is uh, the, the students deliberating about, like, oh, he just drank it, he's, he's gonna die. Well, how do we know? Well, because all men are mortal, and Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal, and mortal beings die when they drink hemlock. It's true by definition. You know, it can't not be that
0: way. Um,
2: mm-hmm. So then, I think, I forget how the parable ends like he's fine.
0: He, yeah, he doesn't die. Yeah. And then the the student replies, "Oh, then he's not a man. All men are mortal and <laughs> Socrates isn't mortal, therefore he's not a man. This is not a guess, it's a logical certainty."
2: Yeah. And then this line that I like a lot. He says the fu- the fundamental problem with arguing that things are true by definition is they can't make reality go a different way by choosing a different definition. Yeah. And this is like a, I'm trying to think of a non-like culture war example of people muddying definitions. But
0: well, I, I think the Socrates one is perfect in that regard because they're saying he is mortal by definition because he's a man,
2: right? And th- but then they they see their their definition proven wrong. They're you know mm-hmm. what they believe is to be a deduction, which is, mm. so that that's the problem is that they're not doing deductive reasoning; they're doing inferential reasoning. Uh, they just. Think they're doing deductive reasoning uh, mm-hmm. yeah then it's like oh well i guess it, it must be a different thing but the problem is like and this is you know if it went the other way and he died well like they could just say well actually no uh mortal people aren't susceptible to hemlock
0: i, I think the thing that eliezer brings out is the problem is that he says we can never know for certain if socrates is a human until after he's observed to be mortal right so it doesn't actually tell you anything that you don't already know
2: and he, and I liked his parenthetical there. It's not even infinite certainty because, you know, he could rise from the grave the next night, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or sign up for cryonics or something, right? Uh, yeah. And th- this is where it's like, all right, well, then what does mortal even mean?
0: Again, that's why we shouldn't just define things as true by definition. Exactly. Yeah, he, he says that evidence favoring a hypothesis is evidence which we are more likely to see if the hypothesis is true than if it is false, which is... a a standard thing about Bayesianism, which is just good to remember.
2: Yeah. Um, I already gave my reaction to the uh, logic. Can't tell you anything you didn't know. So that's basically all I had
0: for this. Yeah. He goes, syllogisms are valid in all possible worlds and therefore observing their validity never tells us anything about which possible world we actually live in. So the fact that all men are mortal and Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. It's a syllogism. It is valid in all possible worlds but you don't actually know if it applies in this world because until you observe Socrates being mortal, you can't actually know if he's a man. Yeah. The validity of the syllogism didn't give you any evidence about the world, right?
2: Right. And it's it's one of those weird things where it's... This is why I was trying to think of like real-world examples because no one argues like this in real life on such obvious cases. Like, whatever, dogs I mean, I dogs takes, have four legs. Uh, yeah. That thing has four legs, therefore it's a dog. No one says that. or. Yeah dogs have four legs well this is a dog with three legs ah well then it's not a dog that's not how anyone really talks but it it is the the standard
0: outline of how they err when they're thinking this way yes it it does happen a fair bit about non-dog issues i think yeah totally like is that taco a sandwich
2: (laughs) i remember it was like whatever some must have been some internet question of the week because i remember hearing it a bunch of times and I don't know, several years ago, but somebody at work was like, is water wet? I, I indulged at first and I was like, sure, why not? And it's like, well, no, but wet is something that's covered in water. And I was like, well, water <laughs> is surrounded by water. And they're like, no, but it, it has to be something not water. And I was like, all right, well, let me just, then I was like, then I finally fell back. And I was like, all right, what would you ex- expect to see differently if water wasn't wet versus if water is wet? Mm-hmm. And then I remember he got annoyed and didn't didn't like that line of reasoning. But uh, <laughs> it, it, I was like, all right,
0: if we're going to pretend like this actually matters, then, then how does it actually matter? <laughs> right. Yeah. He was just having fun with the the masturbation aspect of philosophy.
2: I think he he, he thought I think he thought he stumbled across like a a clever question, and I thought that it was a silly question, and he didn't like that. I was kind of dismissive of it. Uh, okay. But yeah, maybe I wasn't nice enough to him about it. I said
0: it like I said it to you. I wasn't like a dick, but yeah, uh, yeah. I just I was like, All right, I don't think this is actually that interesting. But it <laughs> does tie in well with the parable of the dagger. I think probably these should always be like combined when presented because the jester thought that by proving the syllogism written on the boxes, he was proving something about the real world. But he wasn't because just knowing that the syllogism on the boxes is valid doesn't actually tell you anything about the world that you live in.
2: Yep, I think that's yeah that's all i have to say um so right. yeah cool that's Ford. strong strong wrap up there good job steven yay
0: yeah you're you're the best <laughs> <laughs> for i i guess that's kind of sounded like me being snarky but no yeah, no, no you are I, the best so i, well, I apologize
2: <laughs> no 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 I, pre- I i picked up what you're putting down um okay i appreciate it all right next week cool. for next fortnite we have words as hidden inferences and extensions and intentions yes wait intentions and- is not like intend
0: uh yes yeah it's spelled differently like extension except intention yep so those are our two for next time and i guess we already thank the patron uh we recorded this quite a bit early so that we can have it out for vibe camp if like ai is on the verge of taking over the world and it just happened in the last few days you aren't hearing about it because we recorded this in the distant past
2: in ai time you know things move quickly we recorded this a whole eight days before it comes out so (laughs) by then you know the whole whole landscape of reality could be changed could be in the event that that doesn't happen we'll see in two weeks
0: awesome bye bye